0: Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny and I'll be your host. Welcome back. Today we are on episode 103 and talking about a nice holiday-related book, Mr. Dickens and His Carol by Samantha Silva, as well as A Christmas Carol I'll Just Touch On a Little Bit by Charles Dickens. I can't believe we are so close to the holidays already. I was just meeting with someone the other day, and we were talking about how quickly time goes by, and the older you get, the faster time goes by. This is especially true for me during the holidays season. I just love so much about it that I get to enjoy every moment of that warm feeling of the lights and the joy and the family. And it's like over a whole month. However, this weekend was a little slow for me. (laughs) I had a little work to do and that part went quickly. And then I had some time to myself again. I am continuing to get rid of stuff and declutter and that just feels really Great. We are having some guest visit soon, so we need to clean out the boy's room. He didn't want to do a deep clean, and honestly, we did not have the time to do a deep clean, but we did get in there and did a little more cleaning than I know that he planned on doing. (laughs) We got rid of some of the things that he agreed that he didn't need anymore and doesn't play with. And I know we'll get some stuff for Christmas, so I want to make sure we have the room and we're not just adding more to like our piles of stuff. (laughs) So this weekend, I did some more organizing for myself and getting things in order. It's not just a declutter, but organized so that when I am ready to move, which I've said I want to move, but it is still like years and years away. (laughs) And when the boy is ready to move out again, which is also years and years away, but I want to have things prepared and organized so it makes things easier on all of us i was also talking to a friend about self-care money has been tight and so i don't have a lot of extra money to spend on self-care so she was reminding me that it's important to take care of myself and i said great i will give me some free or cheap ideas and she gave me a great list of things it's stuff that i of course already knew but things that are self-care that i can enjoy and I just need to stop being kind of a bummer and get out there and do some of those things because I've just kind of been super busy and really focused on work and working hard because during slow periods, it's like you almost have to focus on work more to to make the money. So it, it can be really tough sometimes. So I went to Candy Cane Lane, which is an actual neighborhood and a road lane in Milwaukee area where every house is decorated for the holidays. I went once a long time ago and haven't been back since. So I decided to go by myself and enjoy it. And I hate the traffic, so I just parked a bit away and I ended up walking. The weather wasn't too cold, but I brought a cup of hot cocoa and walked around and enjoyed the lights. And it was so wonderful. I have this great new tumbler from work which keeps drinks scorching hot. So my hot cocoa stayed nice and warm, nice and hot. (laughs) I was all bundled up and I stayed warm. Honestly, this time of year, even though it's so cold, is one of my favorite times of year. It does lessen the pain of the weather getting so much colder in the Milwaukee area. Boots this week, I had to pair this book with a claret multiple times in the book. Um, in Samantha Silva's book, Dickens talks about a claret or something being the color of a claret of claret, or it reminds him of claret or something. Claret is actually a dry red wine that is often por- produced in the Bordeaux region of France. This claret, however, is from California, and this week's pairing is Francis Coppola Diamond Claret from Total Wine. It's $13.79 for a bottle, so it was a pretty reasonable price, which is much cheaper than buying directly from the winery's website, although I have included links for both. From the tasting panel, California, quote, dark and luscious, this wine brings together fragrant notes, firm tannins and sophisticated character, enhanced by a full body and a long finish. Aromas of vanilla, clove, and blueberry are met with flavors of plum, black pepper, and cocoa. And I thought that was perfect with the sophisticated character of the wine, kind of matching with the sophisticated character of Dickens in the book. <laughs> it's a Cabernet Sauvignon that comes in at 13.9% ABV. The grapes are 80% Cabernet Sauvignon, 17% Petit Verdot, 2% Petit Syrah, and then Malbec. So I'm guessing like less than 1% Malbec since they didn't even... Um, note the percentage on that. And even though it's not from France, it is made in the Bordeaux style, which attributes to the claret name. The pairings, of course, were the same beef, lamb, and hard cheese pairings, which are some of the same boring pairings that we all get with red wines. So it's kind of obvious at this point that if you follow wine at all, you know, white wine, lighter pasta, red wine, kind of just heavier stuff. Personally, I would pair this a- wine and the book with a nice cottage or shepherd's pie, which would definitely suit the time period as well. But I recently made this rolled roast beef with herb butter, which I would recommend as a pairing as well. This was a great recipe, not only for the book and wine, but also for this holiday season. It was easy, yet flavorful, and had a really nice presentation with a not a a ton of work because it kind of looks like you slaved in the kitchen all day, but you don't. And it's really beautiful. I've linked the recipe in my show notes and I paired it with root vegetables and it made for a really delicious hearty meal and a nice full bodied line wine like this claret matched perfectly with it. As far as the author, I knew nothing, of course, about Samantha Silva. A lot of times I just don't know about authors. (laughs) And I said, I'm not like, I, even though I'm a huge reader, I just do. There's so many great authors out there. You just can't follow them all. And sometimes I've just lived under a rock and I don't know who's popular or well known until I start looking for the next book that I'm going to read but this I was looking for a fun holiday book to read and there isn't a lot of about silva out there i found a bio on a website called writer mother monster which is a community and conversation series devoted to dismantling the myth of having it all and offering writer moms solidarity solidarity support and advice so super cool Writer Mother Monster. I definitely am going to be checking that out more because I think that's something that I would enjoy as well. But from the Writer Mother Monster website, February 21st, 2023, Samantha Silver is an author, playwright, and screenwriter based in Idaho. She's sold film projects to Paramount, Universal, and New Line Cinema, and she's the author of Mr. Dickens and His Carol, Flatiron Books, 2017, and Love and Fury, a novel of Mary Wollstonecraft, Flatiron Books, 2021. Sam wrote and directed the award-winning short script The Big Burn, which premiered at the Sun Valley Film Festival in 2017, and adapted Mr. Dickens and His Carol for Seattle Repertory Theater in 2022. Sam has three children, ages 23, 26, and 22, and describes writer motherhood as, in three words as necessity of invention. There was also a really nice interview at Rediscovered Books, so I've linked that interview as well as the writer Mother Monster website too. But Silva says, quote, I've always largely lived in my head. As a kid, I was a daydreamer, introvert, lots of lying in the summer grass, staring up in the night sky, trying to imagine other worlds, infinity, pondering the meaning of it all which I absolutely relate to. I think a lot of authors are kind of those dreamer types. I know I loved writing in high school so much better because, I or not so much better, just I loved writing so much because I hated my life so much that I was always creating a new story and living in that story was just so much better than living in my real life. And it's not that I hated so I hated my life because I hated living in a small town and I felt like I didn't fit in and people didn't understand me. And I always knew I was destined for better things than living in that small town with the a lot of the people in the small town. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's some really great people from small towns. I know some really great people. I'm still in touch with a couple people that I grew up with. But in general, that was not the place for me. And so because that was not the place for me, I was miserable. It had nothing to do, like with my family life. That couldn't have been better. I loved growing up, like on forty acres and being able to just walk out in the woods. That was great for you know the the imagination, of course. But like in school and stuff, I was completely miserable. <laughs> thankfully, my life has gotten so much better. And I'm mostly happy living in my real life. But it is always fun to live a different life through a book or through my writing. I also loved her response to the question, what is currently on your bedside table? And she says, quote, but here's the wild one of Men in Marshes by Paul Errington, 1957. My dad's dying as I write this, or not quote, but in parentheses, and I found this book in his shelves. It's a plea to pay attention to the natural world that we're losing, but my father wrote an inscription 50 years ago. This book was given to me by a man I spent a few days with in his most beloved habitat, a prairie marsh. He was in the process of acutely dying when we knew each other, and he is the only man I ever knew who spoke of his own death as calmly and as reasonably as he spoke of the life and death Process going all around him in the marsh. I've never forgotten him and I don't think I ever will. And then Silva says, This is why I write. And I love this. We all have our right reasons for writing and for reading. And I love that this is hers. I just felt like really moved by that and thought that was super cool. So while I didn't love the book, I do admire the author and getting into the book. So I did not like the book. (laughs) I just wanted to find a book that suited the season, and I found this recommended on several lists and articles as a great holiday book to read. And I'll be honest, I was really hesitant to read this book. I really don't like fictionalized versions of true stories, like recently Dahmer came out on Netflix to rave reviews, and I didn't want to and I couldn't watch it. Well, it's this is very different. Dahmer is very different because the people are still alive who remember Jeffrey Dahmer. His family is still alive. His, his victims' families are still alive. This fictionalized story of a serial killer is something that I believe is actually actively hurtful. But this is different because Dickens and his immediate family are long gone. While it might dredge up some negativity for extended family members, it doesn't do the same damage that I think Dahmer can do. But personally, I was never terribly interested in reading fiction like this when I could just read their own writing or read a biography, and it was recommended so often. And I often flaunt the benefits of this podcast as getting outside of my comfort zone So I decided, let me pick this book up and give it a try. And mom, if you were listening to this, I know I hopefully told you before you were listening to this that you might like this book. So stop listening and read it before you listen to my review about not liking it. I don't want to ruin it for you. And it's kind of cute. And for anyone else that's listening, it's same message. It's a fun little book and I can see why people enjoy it. And I just don't want to ruin it for anyone this happened last year too with The Stupidest Angel. My dad loved that book as I figured he would, but he probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much as he if he had read it after he listened to my review of it. It's one of the reasons I try really hard not to read or listen to reviews of books before I read the book. I don't want it to influence my personal experience. Mr. Dickens and his Carol is the story of Christmas approaching and Charles Dickens feeling very disillusioned with life. His children are greedy and getting on his nerves. His wife is overspending and his most recent story is not selling as well as he'd like and money is tight. His publishers tell him he's got to write a story by Christmas or be in default of his contract. Dickens struggles with the motivation to write anything, let alone on such a quick timeline. So I also hate that I've Two books in a row that I didn't really care for that I'm reviewing. Though again, I will say I can see why people enjoy both the passage from last week and Mr. Dickens and his Carol for this week. The story this week is just atmospheric and really lovely. It's well written and brings the reader back to 1843 when Dickens was just a 31 year old man and about to publish, arguably, the most well known Christmas story of all time. Silva took many truthful facts of the era and the history of Dickens and wove them very nicely. Into the fictional story that she created. It was a time when traditions were changing, and she brings up several of them, such as. Christmas trees and houses, curry powder, and afternoon tea. It's something that can only be recalled in such a way when someone knows the outcome that some traditions will remain over time and over the years, because those are things that definitely have kind of become staples in every aspect, at least in the lives of Americans. And I guess maybe not the afternoon tea, that's more of a a UK kind of thing. But um, but some some big traditions that did end up sticking. Silva shortened the timelines in which Dickens needed to write a Christmas carol. And in the book the time frame was only weeks, though Dickens actually wrote a Christmas carol in the time from October until November, which is still no small feat considering how popular the novella became. Of course, all authors must have a muse. So Dickens talks to his longtime friend about meeting up with his old flame Maria who conveniently has just written him a letter asking to visit. Dickens says he needs, quote, the stimulant of unrequited love. (laughs) Though like any good friend, just John Foster tells him it's a horrible idea because it is. It's always a horrible idea to meet up with old flames. Don't do it. You shouldn't do it. It's just going to end badly. (laughs) And he meets up with Maria anyways. Of course, spoiler, it's not a good idea. Not to fear though, he meets a new muse, an actress called Eleanor Lovejoy, who Silva seems to have based on Dickens' real love life actress, uh, Ellen Turnen. Or Tiernan, I'm not sure. It's at this point that the book and Dickens himself left a real sour taste in my mouth. According to Wikipedia, quote, in 1858, when Dickens was 45 and Tiernan 18, Tiernan 18 years old, Divorce would have been scandalous for someone of his fame after publicly accusing Catherine, his wife, of not loving their children and suffering from a mental disorder, statements that disgusted his contemporaries, including Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Dickens attempted to have Catherine institutionalized. When his scheme failed, they separated. Catherine left, never to see her husband again, taking with her one child. Her sister Georgina, who stayed at Gad's Hill, raised the other children. So I didn't realize it at first, but felt it was distasteful for Dickens to be looking for a muse, even in a fictional story when his wife had just been given birth to their fifth child. Or was it sixth child? I'm pretty sure it was their fifth. Certainly in the book and probably in real life during that time, they weren't in an unhappy marriage. But I don't condone cheating and the fact that Dickens publicly accused his wife of a mental disorder to take up with an 18 year old is disgraceful and disgusting. I get it. Just like all the married men who hit on me tell me it's complicated. Though, <laughs> so, in the book, Dickens goes one step further and then trespasses in his muse, Eleanor Lovejoy's house. Now, his reasons include trying to protect himself from someone who might take advantage of him, as he was a well known author during this time. One uh, article called him the rock star of literature during the time, so he was well known. But he still trespasses in her house and excuses it, which I think is kind of like weird and creepy he violates her space to protect himself though quite predictably he knows nothing about what he believes love joy to be and his accusations are all wrong so certain parts of the story to me felt really predictable which isn't a deal breaker since i'm watching all these holiday romances which are completely predictable i just could not get over dickens and how skeevy he was separating the art from the artist is definitely something that needs to be done in this case but it really took away from my enjoyment of the story it was at this point when I looked up Dickens at least like when he trespasses in lovejoy's um apartment or, or house or property wherever she's she's staying at because I wanted to see if that he was that much of a cad in real life and which turned out that he he likely was kind of a really gross person, at least when it came to relationships. Since there is no one still alive who was part of that, who can still profit, I will continue to appreciate his art. Like in Shakespeare in Love, which is a great movie if you haven't read it, the competition is Marlowe in Shakespeare in Love. So Dickens needs a great competitor, and William Thackeray is cast as his nemesis. While in the 1600s to 1800s, while Shakespeare and Dickens live, there is much more limited opportunities, and a nemesis or competitor is much more likely. But it's almost amusing to think nowadays of an author having like a particular nemesis, right? Like, that's not a thing anymore, is it? At least, not that I know of, but maybe there's some great writers out there who has have a nemesis. I don't know, maybe maybe Stephen King and Dean Koons are nemesises or nemesis. I'm not sure what the correct word is there. Anyways, I read this great article in The Atlantic from July 1896 that said, Who was the imitator, Dickens or Thackeray? <laughs> And this is one of those times, anyways, I linked that in the show notes, but it, this is one of those times where even though I didn't love the book, I learned so much more about Dickens and classic lit- literature that I had ever known or it really intended to know. I did love Dickens' recognition in the book that, quote, every person was a fiery furnace of passions and attachments unknown to every other. And I laughed at the woman holding the sign that says, quote, novel reading causes violence. <laughs> Also, Lovejoy says to Dickens, quote, isn't there also, in that very time, the chance to begin again? There were moments that pulled in my heartstrings, and I will totally admit to getting teary-eyed at the very end. So there were definitely some things that I enjoyed of the story. My biggest complaints come with Dickens re- being a real shit person to both his wife in the book and in real life, and that I'd rather kind of read a biography, but I still did get something out of the story. The author notes at the end of the book that it's a playful reimagining, and she recognizes Dickens as a flawed person. So even my complaints of his behavior are likely true to character and necessary for Silva to not make him a better person than he actually was. I like how Silva imagined that Dickens had taken his real-life experiences to influence his stories and books. This, of course, is common practice for authors, so this was a fun little addition Like Jacob Marley, who asked for Dickens' autograph and then made fun of him, was disrespectful as Scrooge's dead partner in A Christmas Carol. And this book also made me read Dickens' A Christmas Carol for myself. And to this specific point, I had to laugh at how Dickens repeats multiple times right at the beginning that Marley is dead absolutely dead he's definitely dead marley is dead (laughs) so i thought that was kind of funny how she tied things in there are a few times when silva mirrors a christmas carol itself as well as the truth in her story and i knew the story almost everyone in the states and i expect the uk knows the story of old ebenezer scrooge but i can't say i've ever read it until now i've read and watched cartoon versions of it i've watched like the play i i this is the first time I've ever read the original, and I truly enjoyed it, and I'd like to pick up more of Dickens in the future. I know about all of his stories, but I really haven't read any of them. So that is my goal for, um, one of my goals anyways, for 2024. I'll mix a few classics into the TBR list. So I am going to rate this one, and I'm going to rate it a 3 out of 5. Good Reads gives it a 3.79. One reviewer said, "'I enjoyed this book very much. The writing, the descriptions, the character of Dickens himself, all very well done. A warm and heartfelt read that shows us the true meaning of Christmas.'" Another reviewer felt, the same as me, that they struggle with historical fiction based on real characters, though they love the story. They said, quote, much to my delight, this novel is a tender and loving tribute to Charles Dickens as Miss Silva tells her own story about how A Christmas Carol came to be. In her author's note, she mentions she appreciated the works of Charles Dickens' biographers, Get to tell the story she was moved to tell, she played fast and loose with some people and situations in the book. I, for one, am very glad she did so. Another reviewer said, quote, I don't appreciate the fact that Dickens was portrayed as some kind of womanizer who was infatuated with the lady called Eleanor who wore a purple cloak, and he seems to be constantly looking for her around every corner. That sounds like a stalker to me. Ghastly stuff, really. <laughs> And I don't think he was really portrayed as a womanizer, but someone who was definitely not faithful, which it doesn't seem like in real life he was faithful, though he does come across as a jealous stalker to me as well, which kept from my enjoyment of the story, which sounds like as well as this reviewers, um, they didn't enjoy it either. But it sounds like they might be kind of mad too that Dickens was portrayed the way he was, but I mean, at the same time, even though Dickens is a beloved author, he maybe wasn't so great of a person. And we've talked about this before that there is a separation and sometimes there needs to be a separation with the artist and the art. And this is definitely one case because, you know, and, and again, I've talked about this point too, that not everybody is perfect. So it you know dickens lived a long time ago it's hard to understand his full motivations what uh, life was actually like for him anyway media recommendations love has won the cult of mother god on max I'm not purposely looking for cult series, but when a good one co- pops up, I'll definitely watch it. This was um, interesting because this had a leader who was a woman. In general, cults are run by men. Women might be in positions of power, such as in Twin Flame and Nexium, but rarely are they at the head. And the other fascinating piece of this cult is that even though the leader is deceased, the cult... I mean, the cult doesn't really still live on, but they do, they talk to all these individual people, and while they're not all still together and living together, they all talk about her as Mother God, and they still, like, believe that she was the God, or a God, and she lived on Earth. So, like some others I've shared, it's a wild ride, but it's also really sad to see people being taken advantage of, even when presented with evidence-contrary to their beliefs, they hang on so hard to their own beliefs and ideals. It's kind of sad. And then also, this Naked Mind podcast. I've been sober curious lately and have heard heard of this Naked Mind by Annie Grace, recommended over and over again. It's not on Everend and it's a long wait at the library. So I just haven't gotten to it yet. But I found out there was a podcast and started listening to the podcast, and there are over 600 episodes. And I'm only 51 episodes in so far, but I'm truly enjoying it. I definitely recommend it for anyone who is sober curious. Who always drinks too much over the holidays, anyone doing dry January, or just anyone who wants to learn more about addiction in general, because there's a lot of conversation, not just about alcohol, but about addiction in general and kind of the brain too. I love the open minded ideals and sensitivity to mental and physical illness. Very often, the host, Annie Grace, who is also the author of This Naked Mind, talks about how everyone's journey is different and everyone has their own truth that they need to respect. Thank you so much for listening. You could find me on Instagram at Don't Read Drunk. Email me at Don't Read Drunk at gmail.com. Check out my website, Don't Read Drunk. Also, this is a hobby podcast, so any way that you can support is really appreciated. You can do a one-time donation on PayPal, don't read drunk at um e- uh gmail, sorry, <laughs> dot com. You can also support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don't read drunk. Thank you so much to my sponsors, Erin Ruiz at One Up Till Sun Up who created the music. You can find Aaron and One Up Till Sun Up on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and TikTok. Also Avenue Coffeehouse, you can find them on Facebook and their website at avenuecoffeehouse.com, avenue-coffeehouse.com. Also Karen Rothley Fine Arts. You can find Karen on Facebook. And I think she's got her Etsy up and running now for the holidays. Next episode, we'll be talking about Christmas at the Island Hotel by Jenny Colgan. Bye and talk to you soon.